Let's turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we'll read the first 13 verses and call our attention to that 13th verse. Paul is writing here to the church at Philippi. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Eudia uh, and I implore Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I also urge you, true companion, help those women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, med meditate upon these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, or the word is practice really, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care of me has flourished again, wherein ye surely did care, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And now here's the verse that we will focus our attention on. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the verses just before this passage, Paul expresses his contentment. Paul was in prison at this time, house arrest in Rome. He didn't know whether he was going to be executed or released. But he was very happy to receive a gift from the church of Philippi through Epaphroditus. He acknowledges they had tried again and again to bring that gift to him, but now they had succeeded. But he wants them to know for sure that his joy is not so much that they filled a need and a terrible lack that he had, but his great joy was that this was an offering of love, and this was a fruit of faith, and that was his great joy to assure them that his, their gift did not 
provide for a desperate situation he couldn't handle, he, he says, I have learned, and whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He goes on to say that uh, he was abased and he's been abounding. He knows what it means to be full and to be hungry, to abound and suffer needs. And he indicates not only that he has experienced all these things, but he has been instructed in these things. That is, instructed concerning the secret, how to be content in all these things, good and bad. Now in the passage that we consider tonight, Paul says, I can do all things who strengthens me. And Paul expresses that as the source of his ability to be content, both as he abounds and suffer needs. I have learned to be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But of course, this statement of Paul has broader application than being content with everything. What Paul is saying here is whatever the Lord has set before me to serve him, I am able in the power of Jesus Christ to do. Not by myself, not in my own strength, but I can do all things set before me through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to consider this tonight. The Lord has laid many things upon you, young, old, family, married. Some are hard. Some are very difficult. Some seem impossible. Sometimes we say, I can't do that. And we tend to walk away from what we know our calling to be. We must not do that. We must, by faith, say what Paul says here. I, a believer, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's hear this word of God tonight to be encouraged in that truth. The theme is I can do all things. What can I do? That's the first point. Secondly, in whose power can I do this? Christ. And how do I receive this power? By faith. Paul makes a personal confession here, doesn't it? I can do all things. As we indicated a moment ago, when he talks about all things, he means all things that the Lord put before him to do in the service of his name. The Lord had very wonderfully and dramatically called Paul, not only to faith in Christ at the Damascus Road, but also to be an apostle and a missionary to the Gentile world. And that placed many duties upon Paul. He had to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the Mediterranean world in many cities, many foreign lands. The Lord blessed that so that many churches were established through his work. And that didn't mean he was done with them because if you read his epistles, there were problems here and problems there. He always went to the Jews first and 
those who were mature believers in the Jewish synagogue came to know Christ and were the, stat, the, the established root and, and foundation of the new church, but there were Gentiles who came in from paganism, and there were always problems, and, and Paul has to deal with them. Again and again and again, that never left him during his ministry. And then he had to be an example to those who, to whom he ministered. I remember in seminary it was emphasized to me very, very strongly. Don't just tell the people what to do. Show them by your living. And that was a burden that Paul had to, had to carry. Uh, he writes earlier in this chapter, the things which ye have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do or practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Those were all responsibilities of his as an apostle and a missionary. Nor was this an easy work to do. In the previous verses, we learned some of the difficult circumstances that the Lord placed Paul in. He speaks of being abased. I know how to be abased. That means reduced to mean and humble circumstances. He further explains that being hungry, being in need, want. These difficult circumstances were brought about for Paul by a number of circumstances. First of all, there were the simple rigors of being a missionary, moving from one City, one area, to another, to another, and no financial support. I'm not sure how it is in the URC, but in the PRC, our foreign missionaries and home missionaries are completely supported by the denomination. That wasn't true for Paul. In fact, he writes to those who, the churches that he served, he says, I didn't ask for money, I didn't bring the gospel, and then ask to be supported even though I have the right to, but I didn't want to be accused of coming and trying to get your money, so he supported himself by being a tent maker, moving from one place to another to another. And then there was always the constant pressure of opposition and persecution that he had to endure for the sake of the gospel. As I said, whenever he went to a city, he went to the Jewish synagogue and proclaimed Jesus as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets and the true believers of that synagogue. And there was always a few in every synagogue came to Jesus and were the beginning of the Christian church in that community, but the unbelieving Jews were jealous and they opposed him and they worked up the Gentile community so that more than once Paul had to run to escape his life he speaks in Corinthians of the fact that he was three times beaten with 40 stripes, save one. His back was ripped with scars. He was once left for dead. The dogs licked his womb. That was Iconium, his first missionary journey. Always, always he was opposed. His life was in danger. And then there was the thorn in his flesh. 1 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, and we'll come to that later tonight, 
talks about the thorn in his flesh, some physical ailment that was a limitation to Paul. And there's been all kinds of speculation. He, he was blind, or he had a stuttering problem. This and that, but Paul was convinced for a time that that hindered his work, so that he prayed to the Lord three times, Lord, remove this. And the Lord did not. But he had to contend with that. As he moved from place to place, being opposed, having to run for his life, and then there was his sinful nature. Paul was a born-again Christian. But as with us, also with him, the work of grace was not finished, only begun. And he had a sinful nature. So that in the book of Romans chapter 7, he says, the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. I'm always fighting against that sinful nature. It doesn't want to do what the Lord tells me to do. Yet Paul confesses in spite of all that, I can do all things. That word can has the idea of strength. In spite of the fact that I have to move from place to place, leave behind saints that I've fallen in love with, in spite of opposition, in spite of my sinful nature, in spite of this thorn in the flesh, I have the strength to do all that Christ calls me to do. It's amazing. Do you think that's unique to Paul? It's not. That's true of every believer. God has a station and calling for every one of his people in the church and kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom he has redeemed with his blood. A station and calling, that's the language of the Heidelberg Catechism. Thy will be done. What are we praying for? Among other things, that God make us willing and faithful to fulfill our station and calling as the holy angels do in heaven. I worked at a factory once, a furniture factory. During the summer, I admire people who can do that year after year. Had a sand tables, bleach sand. There was a great big clock. I see the clock here, 533. That clock was this big. And I had to work, and no matter how, how long I worked without looking at that clock, I looked at it again, and it was only 15 minutes went by. I had a station there. I had to work. Certain prescribed duty. Eight hours a day. Five days a week, all summer. I was so glad when school got started again. But anyway, a station with a calling or a work requirement. God has given to each of us, his people, a station in his kingdom, a calling, a place of work in his kingdom. And the station and calling that each of us has is unique to you or to me. It will change as you pass through life. The station and calling you have now as an older person is not what you had when you were a young person. The station and calling I have now 
as a grandparent and a great-grandparent and a retired pastor is different than it was 30 years ago. And there are duties that we share with one another as we occupy our unique station and calling, but according to the gifts God has given to us, each of us has a unique place of work in the kingdom. Let me give you some examples. Are you married? You're a husband. You're a wife. That's part of your station and calling. And there are responsibilities to your spouse that are very important for the advancement of the kingdom. Are you a parent or a grandparent? There are responsibilities that come there too. Important, important work that the Lord calls you to do. Are you an office bearer in the church? An elder? A deacon? That's part of your station and calling. There's work to do there. Are you a young person? As a young person, your calling and station is to provide for yourself and to prepare yourself for future work in God's kingdom and church. Sometimes that station and calling and place is to care for the aged. Your parent becomes old, as my parent did, my father. That was part of my work, take care of dad with my sister and my brother. Do you have a family member or close that has a, a, a lingering, debilitating illness, a sickness? And God calls you to take care of, take care of that loved one. And then God sends you through experiences in life, hardships that, by the grace of God, you overcome and learn to deal with. Have you lost a spouse? Are you a widow or widower? And by the grace of God, you've learned to cope with that. You have a gift, and you have a responsibility to help others in the church who are going through the same thing. Have you suffered great depression, and by the grace of God, learned to deal with it? then you have a gift and you have a calling to use that to help others. I know of a man who was an alcoholic for many years and by the grace of God, he turned away from it and is sober the rest of his life and he saw it to be his calling to reach out and to help others who were struggling with the same, same sin. Nor is it easy to perform the work of one's calling the adversity that Paul experienced in his work comes to all the saints. We often have to serve the Lord in sickness. Sometimes he gives us a thorn in the flesh. Sometimes there's opposition to what God calls us to do. Sometimes at work. Sometimes in our own family. Sometimes we have to do this in poverty. And sometimes the work of the Lord that he gives to us is overwhelming. And we say, how? I, 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 I don't know how to do this. I can't do this. What do I do here? And besides that, we're always contending with our sinful nature, isn't it? Aren't we? It doesn't want to do the work of the Lord. It wants to cast it aside. It doesn't want the hardship doesn't believe the reward that comes with it.
But each of us as God's people is able to do all things that the Lord places before him or her. When there's a clear work of God that he calls us to do, we must never say, I cannot. No, I didn't want another child. I didn't think we could handle another child. We took precautions to prevent pregnancy, but the Lord overrode that. Don't say, I can't handle another child. You can. Don't say, my marriage is not what I envisioned. I can't live with this man. I can't live with this woman. Don't say that. Don't say, I can't love this brother or sister in the church. Look what he has done. Look how obnoxious she is. I can't love this person. And don't ever say, if the consistory nominates you for an office, I can't do it. I remember in my church at Hope, before I served in First Church, there was a man in his 50s, and he told me, he got the letter of nomination, he said, you know something, I almost threw up. I almost threw up. Me? But he did it, and he became an elder, and a good one, too. Nor must we conclude that Paul, being an apostle, is unique in the ability to do all things that God had for him to do. Think of Moses. Think of Moses, raised in the palace of Pharaoh, thought he would deliver Israel out of Egypt, slew the Egyptian taskmaster, it failed. It blew up in his face, so he fled, and he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness, married with two children, taking care of the flocks of his father-in-law. The Lord appears to him in the burning bush, going back to Egypt. You're going to deliver my people. <laughs> oh, no, I can't. I'll be with you. Uh, and he had one excuse after the other. Well, what, what, what was this? What's the name? I, I will tell them I am that I am. What if they don't listen to me? Well, throw that rod on the ground. It turns into a snake, doesn't it? And, and now I pick it up. And, and put your hand here in his leper. And finally, he says, I can't speak well. Well, here's your brother. Now get going. And he did it. And he led Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness for 40 years. From 80 to 120 years of age. Think of Joseph, a young man, 17 years old. Sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in the house of Potiphar. How many young people, we would say, that just give up? He didn't. He was faithful. He was obedient. The Lord blessed his work. He became the chief of the servants of Potiphar's house. And then when Potiphar's wife made a play for him day after day after day, he refused and got himself thrown into prison. And through his faithfulness as a young man, over against all odds, he was elevated to the place of the chief prisoner and that was a stepping stone to become the next in line in power to Pharaoh. 
but he did it. Think of Daniel and his three friends. They were brought to the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. They were supposed to eat meat offered to idols. We can't do that. Let us eat the food of the common people. Well, you'll be in danger if you're not if you don't grow and, and don't aren't healthy. Bad things are going to come. Well, they did it anyway. And then the three three friends refused to bow before the image of Nebuchadnezzar, that great big image, ninety feet tall, covered with gold. It represented the god of the Babylonians, Bel, the kingdom. And the king himself. Bow or you're in the fire. They chose to be in the fire. They did the will of God. As young men. What Paul. And Moses and Joseph. And Daniel and his three friends have done. You can do also. So that brings us to the second point. In whose power can I do this? Not in your own. That's clear from the teaching of Scripture. Very clear. Let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to be arrested. The Events that he knows are going to come in the next 24 hours are overwhelming to him. So he brings with them Peter, James, and John further into the garden and then goes off by himself to pray. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He comes back to Peter, James, and John, and they're sleeping. He said, watch with me. They're sleeping. And so in Matthew 26, verse 41, we read, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. By the spirit, Jesus means the Holy Spirit that transforms us in his grace into new men and new women through a spiritual rebirth. The spirit is willing. That means through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, there is within us a desire, a willingness to serve God, to do what he calls us to do, no matter the cost in the face of every temptation. The Spirit is willing. But then there's the flesh. That's weak. The flesh here is our sinful nature. The whole of our being from the viewpoint of the workings of sin that still reside in us. The work of the Spirit isn't finished in this life. won't be finished until we get to heaven. We only have a small beginning of obedience, says the Heidelberg Catechism. And that flesh is weak. It is not able. It is not capable of accomplishing the will of God and the will of the Spirit. Should we rest in our own strength? Should we seek to do the will of God and perform our calling faithfully in our own strength, relying upon ourselves 
that sinful flesh will render us helpless and hopeless in the face of temptation. Here's another passage, just to emphasize it. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ, well, apart from Jesus Christ, you can do a lot of things. You can build empires. You become rich. You become famous. You can become powerful. You can even live outwardly a moral life, as did the Pharisees. Their outward morality was impeccable. But apart from Christ, you cannot bring forth fruits in the service of the kingdom of God. All that you do is useless. Useless when it comes to the cause of God's kingdom and his covenant. And that's verified by many examples of scripture. Think of Abraham. What great promises God gave to Abraham. Abraham, you're going to become the father of many nations. The covenant is going to extend through you, and bring forth one day the Christ. But he didn't have any children. And pretty soon Sarai was too old to have children naturally. What was he going to do? He relied on his own wisdom, his own ingenuity. With the advice of his, of his wife, he took her concubine joined himself together and brought forth Ishmael. What a disaster that was. It was a disaster. Later on, God miraculously gave them Isaac, but he relied on his own strength. And nothing good came out of it. Think of Jacob. Even though he was the second born, God made it clear to Rebekah, that he was to receive the birthright blessing. And the future of the covenant was through him. Not Esau. But in weakness, Isaac sought to give the birthright blessing to Esau. And so, at the urging of his mother... He went in and pretended to be Esau and received the blessing through deceit. And look where that brought him. He had to run for his life. He had to spend 20 years with his uncle Laban. And then again, he relied upon his own strength. He ended up with two wives. And two concubines. Now they were the beginning of the nation of Israel, but things didn't go so well. You read that history, there was jealousy. So much so that 
the sons got together and sold their brother Joseph down to slavery. It all ended up a mess. He relied upon his own strength. Think of Peter. The Lord said at the last Passover supper, all of you are going to be offended because of me tonight. You're all going to abandon me. <laughs> Peter said, not me. Not me. When they came to arrest him, he took his sword out and he was going to cut the, the, the head of Malcolm. He was going to cut Malcolm's servant, the, the, the servant of Malcolm, the high priest, right down the middle, and he missed and got his ear. Jesus said, put your sword up. And they all fled. And so did Peter, relying upon his own strength and wisdom. In fact, he went into the courtyard of Caiaphas and he denied his Savior three times. I don't even know the man. With cursing and swearing, I don't even know who he is. He relied on his own strength. Well, that's what happens to us when we rely upon our own strength. Nothing good comes. Nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. To Jesus Christ belongs all power and authority. Just prior to his ascension into heaven, he told his disciples, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Matthew 8, 28, verse 18. He did that in, a, in anticipation of his exaltation into heaven and being seated at the right hand of God in power. And this power is given to Jesus Christ by God on the basis of his perfect work of atonement at the cross. There he stood in the place of his people. There he endured the punishment of their sins. There he walked in perfect obedience and fulfilled all righteousness. On that basis, he was exalted. He was given all power and authority at God's right hand. For what purpose? Well, primarily so that he could bring to his people the salvation he earned for them. And then empower them to live in that salvation to preserve them from all evil, and to accomplish all things that he would call them to do in his church and kingdom. That power alone is able to make us strong to do all things that God sets before us in the service of his name. Now, how do we receive that power? We receive that power only when we are in him. That's not clear from the translation we have. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. In the original language, the Greek, it's literally all thing, I can do all things in Christ. In Christ who strengthens me. Only when we are in Christ does the power of Christ upon us make us strong to do all things. Jesus makes this clear 
in that passage we read before, John 15, verse 5, with the figure, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Think of the grapevine and the branches. There's a living connection there. The branches are in the vine. The vine, because of the living connection, is in the branches. The branches receive the life-giving I'm not a biologist. Sap, whatever it is, from the vine and from the root. And they live and they bring forth fruit. And we must have a living connection like that with Christ so that he is in us and we are in him. And that connection or union with Christ is faith. The Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 7, speaking of faith, asks, are all those who perish in Adam saved by Christ? No. Only those who are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits by faith. And grafting, that was something very important in the olive uh, business. The, these olive trees were, were old often, and they weren't bearing much fruit. So they cut off some of the old branches, and they cut off from a wild olive tree branches, and they graft them in. And eventually those, those wild olive branches became one with that cultivated old vine so that the one was in the other. There was that union. And that's a picture of what God does to us through faith. He joins us and grafts us into Christ. And that union that we have with Christ is part of the new birth. When we are born again, we are joined by God to Christ. And that new birth, which also includes the power of faith, comes to expression. And that we come to know God and know Jesus Christ as our God and Savior not just intellectually, but with a knowledge of love. And out of that comes trust. We trust him because we know him. We trust his promises. And therefore we rely upon him. That's what faith is. The activity of faith is to rely upon God in prayer, seeking the word, hearing the word of God, coming to him in prayer, seeking him, clinging to him, and relying upon him instead of self. That's our union with Christ. And in that way, the power of Christ comes to rest upon us. Now I want to call your attention to Paul and to show you that often 
that becomes a reality or we're, becomes a greater reality in our life when God afflicts us. Sometimes God, by his hand, brings trouble, difficulty, struggles, and we think, how can we serve the Lord? That's what happened to Paul. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, well, let me see where I'm at, the thorn in the flesh. Paul, in the beginning of chapter 12, says he was taken up to heaven. The third heaven, we didn't know whether it was the body or, or, or his soul, but to see things, to qualify him to be an apostle, he was not not allowed to tell anybody. But then he says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. So whatever this thorn in the flesh was, Paul was convinced it hindered him from doing his work. And so he pleaded with the Lord on three different occasions, Lord, take it away. And the Lord finally says, Paul, no. My grace is sufficient for you. We could even say the meaning is ultimately, uh, the original is, it is enough that you have my grace. In other words, th th this thorn in your flesh is a means whereby my grace reaches you. Because you see, my strength is made perfect or complete in your weakness. When I take away your ability to rely upon your own strength, you've got no place else to go but to me. And then the strength of Christ comes to rest upon you. So that Paul says, I have found that when I'm weak, with this thorn in the flesh, I'm really strong. Because I'm no longer relying upon myself. I'm relying upon him. And the strength of Christ comes to rest upon me. This passage means a great deal to me. In 1979, I had a very terrible nervous breakdown. Five years in the ministry. And deep depression that rendered me incapable of working, of preaching, and even of handling the normal activities of my kids. It was the darkest hour in my life. I was in Edgerton, Minnesota. I came here to Grand Rapids where my parents lived, and especially two of my professors worked with me. One who had gone through the same thing himself early in the ministry. He taught me so much. Taught me what I was doing that was counterproductive. He's in heaven now. I give thanks for him often. And the other professor, he said, um, you're going to make a sermon on this passage. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hmm. At that point... I was afraid I was going to be an emotional cripple the rest of my life. 
I didn't even know if I was going to be able to continue as a minister. The five years that I had were good, productive, but when you're deeply depressed, all hope is gone. You're stuck. There's no hope. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That didn't seem like a reality. That was something that I had in my head, but it didn't seem at all possible. But I had nowhere else to go. The Lord, the Lord gave me no other place to go. And so as I tried to work on this passage, I couldn't at first because the depression was too bad. After about six weeks, I had a sermon sort of went back and preached it. I hope this sermon was better. I think it was. <laughs> and this became true. I learned to cling to Christ. That this, 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 the power of Christ can rest upon me instead of relying upon myself. It was a long, hard road. It takes a while to come to deep depression. It takes a while to get out of it. But it taught me a very, very valuable lesson that I still benefit from today. And I have learned through that experience not to trust my own strength, but to rely upon Christ to strengthen me. Do I do that perfectly? <laughs> I don't do anything perfectly, but I've grown in it. And it's been a great blessing to me, this passage. And I want it to be a blessing for you. Don't try to serve the Lord in your own strength. You don't have it. Rely upon the Lord. Turn your heart to God in prayer. With the scriptures, in the communion of saints, rely upon the Lord to strengthen you. And you will be amazed what the Lord can and do through you. Amen. Father in heaven, what a wonderful, glorious reality we consider tonight. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, lead us to our Savior to the source of our real strength, that we may faithfully serve thee and overcome every obstacle, every temptation, every opposition that is placed before us. Lord, give us to be faithful, relying upon Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.